do open the passage um, that I read a minute ago, Jonah chapter, last verse of three and and the whole of four. Um, It's a well-known story. Uh, Lots of us have uh, heard of Jonah. Uh, There are many who are not Christians who've heard of Jonah. Uh, And uh, the the big fish gets a lot of attention. Um, But I love this story. I love this story not because of the big fish. Um, I love it because it's a a complex story. It has complex characters. Um, You have a Jonah who's this complex prophet who's not your typical prophet. There's more to him. There's open-ended questions in the book that make us search ourselves, make us search God. Um, and the big fish is, is almost a byline. It's, it's a little, little just, it's just part of the story, but the story's much bigger. But I think the key thing that comes out, and I'm sure you've seen it already, the key thing that shines out of this book and, and this passage is God's great compassion on the lost. God's amazing grace and compassion and love for the lost. So before we we look at that, I just want to recap some of the rest of the book, just so it's fresh in our minds um, as we come to it. And so the background we have here is that Jonah is is a little a prophet um, in Israel. Now Israel was God's kingdom. You've got a great time after the Exodus where. And after Judges, where God's kingdom was won and David was king and everything was going well and they were all worshipping God in the temple. And then Solomon came and after him it split into the north and south kingdoms. And he's in the northern kingdom. And after that it's been a period, a long period of, of, uh, of bad kings, people turning away from God. But in that period you have a great empire to the east, um, on the river in the east, um, in, where Mosul is in Iraq. You might have heard of Mosul, of IS, and IS were very active in that area of Iraq. And so on the river there is where the city of Nineveh came up and the Assyrian Empire. And if you go to the British Museum, just down the road, two stops down from here in Holborn, you will see huge reliefs, um, big stone carvings of the Assyrian Empire and what they were like and their kings. And they were a huge empire. They stretched all, they stretched all the way down from Kuwait up through Iraq and round and, and eventually they did come and take over Israel. Um, and so he's there, and this huge empire to the east of him um, makes Israel's weak and patheticness just even more so. And he's, in that time, trying to follow the Lord. And so God calls him and gives him this great task to go to the people of Nineveh and tell them to repent. The kingdom of um, the Assyrians was a very evil kingdom. Um, it's documented in the Bible. It's also seen on the reliefs of there. They were particularly evil. The war crimes they committed um, wouldn't get printed in the papers because of the horrificness of them. They really were horrible. Um, skinning enemies, putting them up on poles, and all sorts of really nasty things they used to do to their enemies. And they were famous for it. Even if you just flick onto Wikipedia and look at the Neo-Assyrian Empire, you will see there is a whole section on brutality. (laughs) They were known for this. And Jonah is called to tell them to repent of their wicked ways. Go to their capital and tell them to repent. But we know what he does. What does he do? He turns around and goes the opposite way across the Mediterranean Sea towards Cyprus, Tarshish. And he boards a boat and he goes across and God says, no, I'm going to send a storm, sends a storm. And he's there with some pagan sailors and they're like, whose fault is it that God has sent this storm? 
and Jonah eventually, they eventually figure out it's Jonah's fault that the storm's here, and Jonah says, you've got to throw me into the sea, and the storm will stop. And the sailors like, oh, oh, oh. they're quite good guys, the sailors, in the end. And then gets thrown into the sea, the storm stops. Jonah gets eaten by the, the fish. Um, he sits in the belly of the fish for three days, has a lot of thinking time. Uh, where's it all gone wrong? And he, in chapter two, he prays this prayer of, of repentance. He sort of comes round. Um, uh, he sort of comes round. And eventually, the fish vomits him up onto dry land, and Jonah then goes to Nineveh. He travels to Nineveh, gets the city. It's a huge city. It takes him three days to get across it, the city. And he preaches, repent. Repent from your wicked deeds. And what happens? It's revival. It's amazing. It's huge revival. 120,000 people we find out in the city. Then massive revival um, happens. From the very lowest to the highest, they call a fast. Even the king uh, repents from the very top of society to the bottom of society. They repent. And that is where we get to our passage now in chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Brilliant. Amen. Surely that's a a great ending, isn't it? And then we come to this next bit about Jonah and everything that God teaches him in this. And so I want to, I'm going to break it into three parts. Um, and just, I want us to see God's amazing grace and compassion for the lost. Firstly, for the lost prophet. You can guess who that is. For the lost city and for the lost, well, for lost people. So, Jonah, let's look at him, honestly. You expect him to be running away from Nineveh because he's scared. You know, these are known for their brutality. God said, go and tell them they're wicked. You think, hmm, you know, modern day people, you know, we're hoping someone's going to turn around to Putin and say, stop doing this. But nobody's got the confidence. These guys are way more brutal. And you think Jonah's going to run away because he's scared of it. But he's not. You saw it in in verse 2. Have a look with me if you've got it open. In verse 2, why did he run away from them? He ran away from them. He said, oh Lord, this is what I said. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I ran away from Tarshish. Because you are a gracious God. A merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Therefore take, in relenting from disaster, therefore... Now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. He is so angry that God has forgiven them. He didn't want to, he didn't want to go to Nineveh, not because he was scared of them, because he was worried that God might forgive them. He wanted God to pour out his anger. He wanted fire and sulfur on Nineveh. He hated them. And here he is having a pity party. Now we use that phrase quite a bit in my household and my girls will know that phrase quite well a pity party where he's sitting down and having a tantrum and saying it's not fair I'm not getting what I want my life's bad I don't think he's depressed I don't think this is suicidal thoughts I think he's having a real real tantrum toys out the pram time Um, he doesn't like what God's done he's really angry at God but look at God's response to him look at God's response to him Does God say, Jonah? Does he grab him by the throat? Does he punish Jonah? No, he just asks him a question. A gentle question. 
Do you do well to be angry? Is your anger justified, Jonah? What's going on here? What's going on in your heart? Search yourself, Jonah. That's what he's saying. Isn't that amazing grace from the Lord? I mean, Jonah's not got a great track record. He's not like your stand-up prophet and this is one moment, lapse moment. He's not. Take it back to the beginning and we know what he's done. Yet God is gently encouraging him. Bringing him along. And again, later on, when he has another tantrum at God and says, I am really fed up. What does God do? God sends a, 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 a covering from a little vine that grows up over and gives him some shade and then takes it away from him just to teach him the lessons. And then comes back, are you really, is your anger justified? God is so gracious and compassionate to, the, to this guy having a tantrum. I don't think I'm as gracious and compassionate as that with my children when they're having a tantrum. I don't know, you maybe have to ask them afterwards. And I wish I was. I wish I was more like this as a father, gently encouraging. He even, when Jonah runs away from him, back in chapter 1, God could have sunk the ship, he could have killed him, he could have left him to drown. Swimming lessons weren't a thing in those days. Jonah gets thrown into the sea in the middle of the storm. He's a goner. No, he sends a fish to save him. He's swallowed by the fish and he spends three days in the belly of a fish. I think that's pretty remarkable to live for three days in the belly of a fish and then vomit it out to dry land. God is constantly, gently working on Jonah, working on his character. And that is the God we have. We don't have a God who is, wants to just uh, punish us instantly as soon as we've done something wrong. We have a God who is gentle and patient and kind. When we have our pity pity parties and our tantrums about what's life not being fair and things going on, we have a God who comes alongside us. Sometimes he sends us difficulties. Jonah was sent into a, had a storm come to him to help bring him round. He had his shade taken away from him and a, a scorching east wind in the desert of Iraq, to help him turn, to help him think. No, I don't, I, I, you know, I might know this up here, but there's times in my life, and I'm sure there's times in your life, where things come along, and your first response isn't, God, how are you going to grow me through this? Thank you. How are you going to grow me? How are you going to change me? What are you teaching me, Lord, in this situation? It's, it's not fair. Change it, Lord. I don't like it. Um, yet, we know. You read Romans. Romans 8, 28. We all know it very well. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We know these truths. We see them. Yet, sometimes our hearts are just like Jonah's. So, I have a lot of compassion for Jonah. Um, as well as being quite challenged by him. Because God is gracious in those difficult circumstances. God loves his lost and wayward prophets. He loves his lost and wayward people like us. I love the, the song, or the, it's a poem originally by a guy called William Cowper. Um, God moves in mysterious ways and one of the lines or two lines say, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And you can see that shine out in this passage from Jonah. 
behind all these difficulties in Jonah's life, you see God gently encouraging him and trying to change him. And he does that in all of our lives through our circumstances. Let's look at his grace now for Nineveh. God's amazing grace and compassion for the lost city and for the lost nation of Assyria. God says at the end, verse 11 on on chapter 4, have a look at it with me. He's talking about, first of all, in 10, he says, God says, you pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished night. And should I, God, not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle? The cows, I'm not sure, but it even has kindness for people's livestock. God is full of grace and compassion. But isn't it, isn't it amazing? He doesn't say these wicked people who are making, who are doing wicked and evil deeds. He, he really has compassion on people who are spiritually clueless. These Assyrians worshipped their own gods, um, and, uh, and they were, uh, they really didn't love the Lord at all. Yet God has this amazing compassion and grace on them. He comes, he has this pity on them. And it really challenges me, do I have pity on people I see as lost or see as people as wicked? And I was thinking, thankfully I've not experienced much awfulness like the Assyrian Empire. I'm not in Ukraine watching other people bomb my country. And so I don't have that hatred or or dislike of other nations that might be in other people's backgrounds and circumstances. But there are people who I think, hmm, not not so much pity on. Recently, uh, it's particularly been people near us in Westminster. (laughs) My struggle for pity and compassion on on some of our our friends who work in Westminster has, has been difficult. I wouldn't mind a bit of smiting on them. But actually, that's not how God looks at them. That's not how God looks at our city, London. Not how God looks at our world and people in this world. He has compassion on the lost. And again, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. We see it all over the Bible. When Jesus looks at the crowd, he calls them sheep without a shepherd. Throughout the Bible, in Ezekiel, God says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, and not rather that he should turn from his way. God loves the lost. Do we love the lost? Do we really love the lost? And how do we know if we love the lost? I was thinking about this earlier. Um, How do we know that we want everyone to be saved? Are we, yes, we really do love the lost? Are we, um, in the middle, indifferent? Or are we just not, we don't want, we don't like them, they don't deserve it? I don't know. I think it's something that challenged me. And I wanted to examine my life. Do, is it clear by the way I live? Yes, we might be going to West Africa, but um, it can easy, you can easily do Christian stuff without your heart being changed. Um, is it clear in the way that you live? Is it clear in the way that you spend your money? If you look down your bank statement, would it declare love for the lost? Or the conversations that you talk about? Would it declare love for the lost? Like God has love and compassion for the peoples of this world.
I don't know. But we do have a God who is radically different from us and has, is full of that compassion. So finally, God's love for all lost people. How does he do it? How can God look at the Assyrian Empire? How can God look at the wickedness in the world and yet show mercy? This is Jonah's, this is Jonah's big problem here. This is where Jonah's, all his anger comes from. Because what Jonah's problem is, is yes, it's a heart problem. And yes, he, he really hates the Assyrians. But, but deep down, his hatred or his anger at God is because he doesn't understand how God can forgive them. How can God forgive these lost people? He says, look, I ran away because you are gracious and compassionate. You're going to forgive them. But he, he didn't feel it was right. He didn't, he thought, it's not just. It's not right. They are wicked. They deserve to be punished. Good people rewarded, bad people punished. Now in some ways, he's spot on. Evil should be punished. When we look around the world and we hear the news stories, evil should be punished. I mean, recently it's, it's Ukraine, but But for decades in eastern Congo, rape is used as a weapon of war by militia. That shouldn't go unpunished. Sometimes when we live in comfort, comfortable situations where where life generally goes along okay and we don't have great injustices, particularly here in London where we have money, um, we don't, we have a bit of power. But when you don't have money and you're at the bottom, injustices often are are much greater and come to you much more easily. And so therefore you often feel, yes, it should be punished. It's something we forget, I think, in our culture. Evil is is wicked and needs to be punished. And so Jonah is somehow right, but he doesn't realize the God he's got. He doesn't realize that he's God of God who can reconcile mercy and justice in one. You see, we have been thinking about this recently with Easter coming at the cross. And we talk about it a lot. But what happens there? How does God reconcile this mercy and justice? How does he forgive wicked people? Let them go away scot-free. Well, I'm sure you know, and you do know. God puts the sin and the punishment for the sin on Jesus instead of us. The punishment that that the Assyrians deserve, the punishment that we deserve, the punishment that anybody who knows Jesus deserves is placed on Jesus. It is met, it is meted out. It does happen. It is poured out, that anger. And that punishment and that justice that is deserved is poured out. But it's not poured out on us. It's poured out on Jesus. And then what happens to us? Then we can be forgiven. We can be let go because that punishment has happened. It is finished on the cross. And Jonah would have known this. Jonah would have been in the temple. He would have seen the sacrificial system. They had a great display of this, a a visual display 
of what's happening on the cross in the temple. Every year on the Day of Atonement, they would get a, a, a sheep and they would, the priest who represented the people, who represented all the people, so his sin, he represented, he laid his hands on the sheep, physically put his hands on the sheep as a sign of laying all the sins of the people on the sheep. And then what did they do? They cut the throat of the sheep. They killed it. The punishment went there. And the people were absolved. They were free. It's done. It's meted out. It's done. Now obviously we all know a sheep can't take the punishment for people. It's a sheep. So that's why we needed Jesus. But it was a great picture to point us towards Jesus. And Jonah had that. It's interesting that Jonah only quotes the very first part of what God says in Exodus. And when Jonah says God is an abounding, gracious... Sorry, let me, let me read it properly. Jonah says, For I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. He stops. That is Exodus 34. He stops early. The next part of that verse says, Exodus 34, 7, the next part of that verse says, by no means letting the guilty go unpunished. God is not a God who just pours out his love and just love, 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 love without justice because justice is important. Jonah has forgotten this. God has love for the lost because he can forgive the lost, because he can punish the sins of the lost. In, on Jesus, ultimately for us. So finally, what is our response to this God? What is our response to this God who loves wayward Christians, who loves wayward prophets? What is our response to a God who uses all the circumstances of our life to slowly and gently bring us to him? What is our response to a God who loves everybody? who cares for everybody, who is so much kinder than I could ever be, so much more generous and loving than I could ever be. And what is our response to a God who can see my sin yet puts it on his son in order to forgive me? What is our response to this great God? I think the first response is worship. So lay down before him, worship him. Like Thomas, I don't know if you've read it recently, in John, when Thomas just goes, when he sees Jesus, my Lord and my God, and gets down before him. Our first response is worship. Now, if you don't know this God, if you don't know Jesus, can you not see how beautiful he is? Do you not want to know him? Think about him. If you do know him, worship him. He is worthy of our worship, worthy of everything that we have. And secondly, let's imitate him. Let's imitate him. I think it was Oscar Wilde that said imitation is the highest form of flattery. Well, that's what God wants us to do. Imitate him. Let us love the lost. Let us have compassion on people who don't deserve it. Let us have grace and forgiveness for people who don't deserve it because we know that we don't deserve it either. We don't deserve his love and his grace and his compassion. Yet he 
gives it freely to us. Let us imitate it and have grace and compassion for others, particularly the lost, those who don't know their right hand from their left hand, those who don't know Jesus, those who haven't heard of Jesus. Let me pray. And then we'll sing. Father, you are great and glorious. You are compassionate and full of grace. You are more wonderful than we can imagine. Father, help us to see you for who you are. A God of grace. A God who is just yet forgives us. A God who poured out the wrath that we deserve on your son in order to forgive us. A God who loves the undeserving and the unworthy. Father, help us to worship you with our hearts, with our minds and with our lives. And help us to love the lost like you do. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.